Welcome, 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 boys and girls, to the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I am here with the one and only Dr. Amanda Doran. We are talking about managing the neurodiverse uh, doctor. We talk, we start off talking about that, then we talk mostly about being a neurodiverse doctor and what that is like and what that experience is like. This is a fun episode. It is a make you think episode uh, just about how people are different and about working with people who see the world differently in your practice. I think this is uh, one of those things where we talk about neurodiverse doctors and really we're just talking about is people are people and people are different and we all have different skills and strengths and and things that we're good at and things that exhaust us and things that we're not good at and we're not we're not cookie cutters we're 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 our own beautiful distinct human beings and uh and when you understand that then uh then a lot of ideas for how to support people become really clear and so anyway this is a this is a fun conversation it's a neat make you think sort of conversation it's a good reminder about the humanity of our uh, of our professionals so whether uh whether you are a doctor or a tech or a front desk or manager, I think this is going to be a, a, just a good general episode to hear. So guys, uh, without further ado, let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Amanda Doran. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. It is good to see you again. It has been a minute. Uh, how are things going? Oh, good. Living the dream. Uh, Northern Minnesota is very beautiful. Several months of the year. The rest of the time, it is hot. Um, yeah. But it's gorgeous right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's good to see you in person. Uh, you you actually came down and stayed uh, with me and my family a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic. Right before, uh, yeah. Working, yeah, work, it was right before, working on some business projects, and uh, that was awesome thing, and, and uh, the family says hi. Uh, <laughs> you, what are we doing here? We are here, so those who don't know you, you are uh, Dr. Amanda Doran, you are doing some speaking and writing, especially particularly kind of in, in the wellness space in vet medicine. You are an associate vet with Minnesota Pets, which is a home hospice uh veterinary company and um you do you do a lot of different things you have a lot of different interests i i love it i'm a big fan of people having what i call a third space which is things you do that are not home like not normal home stuff and not work stuff and so you have you have a booth at the farmer's market called uh wicked witch of the west end and uh you also have you just told me i was actually uh humbled you have 35 cherry tomato plants i have three tomato plants that I have fought all summer long to <laughs> just to have and uh, they have a high they have a high tomato failure rate let's just say that they uh, they there's a a lot fewer harvested than grow on that thing but uh, but anyway welcome to the podcast I'm glad you're here I asked you to be on because you did a uh, workshop for uncharted very recently that was extremely popular and well attended and it was on managing the neurodivergent doctor and um boy we got a lot of 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 positive feedback on that session a lot of people who said they wanted to know more uh they weren't able to come to the workshop and so i just thought that would be a great uh opportunity to have you in to kind of run through uh this topic with you and and it's something that i don't i really honestly don't know a whole lot about this is a, a weakness of my own and so i'm really excited just to start breaking this down you ready 
Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. I feel like we only scratched the surface in the workshop. So definitely. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's what that's what well, was the feedback that I got was there's there's a, there's a lot there. Well, let's let's just start out at a high level. When we talk about managing uh, the neurodivergent doctor, what what are we talking about? Give give me an idea. Going into this workshop, uh, and again, neurodivergent can mean a million different things. Help me start to piece this together in my mind. I want to get I want to get my head around. Um, what, what, am I, what am I talking about? I, I think a lot of us are probably managing neurodivergent doctors, and we don't even know that we're, that we're doing that. Uh, many of us may be yeah. neurodivergent doctors who don't have not yet realized or recognized that that is a part of who we are. And so, so talk to me a little bit about that. What does that look like as people come in? Paint me a picture in the clinic of the neurodivergent doctor, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think definitely newer terminology that we're talking about. And so I think kind of neurodivergence as a term was really developed to kind of help talk about um, and develop acceptance for people with autism, but the umbrella's gotten a little bit bigger and includes a lot of other different conditions and neurodivergence. Um, and probably the most common one we, I think we do see like anecdotally, and I have personal experience with is people with ADHD. And so these might be people mm -hmm. who are having a really hard time managing time or um, managing different tasks or they might have problems with memory or organizing things or starting projects and following through. Um, they might have some challenges with emotional control or paying attention or focusing. They might get sucked into the vortex of time in the exam rooms um, and might have a hard time consistently following goals, especially with something that they're not interested in. And yeah, we are all, we are neurodiverse as a population. Yeah. So like, like goals that were set from someone else. Right. If it's something that people don't have a strong interest in, might have a hard time working towards that goal. Okay. So going back to those things, uh, pick, to me, pick back up. And um, so you listed, you know, time management, task management, organizing, emotional control, paying attention. Um, you, uh, pick back up with, uh, you know, neurodivergence. Uh, we're, we're all sort of a, a, diver, a diverse group. Um, yeah. And just kind of, I think yeah, that's a laundry list of of behaviors. Sort of help help to kind of put that into an organized framework. Yeah. I guess how do you, how do you start to look at these things? Um, so I guess essentially, like what neurodiversity means is that like within our population of humans, we have a variation of cognitive function, right? So everybody like our population is neurodiverse and in kind of thinking back to like back to basics of like left brain versus right brain and like kind of logic versus creativity and how we process things and how we engage in projects and how we perceive things and even how we solve problems. Like we all have all the things, but we do different things differently. And there's kind of this like societal standard. And then many people have traits that make it easier for them to adapt to kind of those standards. And some people have traits that maybe are maybe leaning a little bit more towards like right side of the brain and make it more difficult to adapt sure. to kind of those expectations or those cultural standards that we have. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it does. I, I will tell you sort of, okay, I like, I like the way that you're, that you're starting to lay these things out. So, so I'll, I'll just sort of tell you a, a position that I sort of have on the way that people's minds work and kind of where it comes yeah. from. So I, I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder when I was in the second grade. And um, the doctors, the uh, psychologist who did the child testing told my parents uh, not to expect too much from me. You know, I probably wouldn't go to college. I probably wouldn't 
you know, wouldn't wouldn't go on and, and do these other things. And, and my, my, my dad was a surgeon. So I think that that was sort of the, the idea my parents maybe had. Now, this was in 1982, which is the stone ages for, you know, child psychology, things like mm-hmm. that. I I am. So this is kind of how I think about it. So I, um you know, I said something. I have a friend and uh, her child was just diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. And uh, he is about seven years old now. I think he's probably second grade, something like that. And my friend had just gotten the diagnosis that her child had ADD. And, and she was obviously kind of uh, worried about what, what does this mean and things like that. And sort of what I said mm-hmm. to her was, I'll tell you, based on my life experience, you know, we live our lives in a construct, I think that was made. We've got this crazy system, pardon, pardon the, the phrase, but we have this, this, this ridiculous system where um, uh, kids are supposed to go and sit on their bottom, you know, for six to eight consecutive hours with a 15 minute recess break, which is what elementary school kids get now. And, and that's how their success is measured is their ability to sit still and to take these tests that are put in front of them. And I say, this is ridiculous, right? You think back about, think about how evolutionarily we came along. The kid that never sat still, that was always exploring, that was always sort of uh, investigating and doing new things, that loved to socialize with others. Um, that kid's bound for success in, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the wild in a lot, a lot of ways. But that's not what success today looks like in the modern society that we have. And so when I think a lot mm-hmm. about that, you know, I will say that a lot of my career success comes from my inability to calm my mind in a lot of ways. You know, I'm known as, as a pretty creative person. Um, you know, I, I like to think that I'm a fairly innovative person. Innovation and creativity come from smashing disparate ideas together, taking something and, mm-hmm. and combining it with something else. And that's just kind of what my brain does. But if you're looking for somebody who can come and sit at a desk for eight consecutive hours and push paperwork, I'm not your guy. I'm never going to make it. And that's just the way that I am wired. And so when I, when you talk about neurodivergence and you talk about all the different types of behaviors that we see, people who are not organized, raising my hand, people who have problems paying attention, <laughs> raising do. my hands, people who forget things, raising my hand, you know, like, like I, I, I check those boxes and, and that, that's sort of where I am. And so my my big thing is um i think that people have often thought that there is normal and abnormal and i reject that that categorization i would say you know what's what is beneficial is often context specific and the uh some of us may some of us may not thrive in the classic academic or classic work environments because that's not how we're wired but that does not mean we were wildly successful in other ways or in other in other uh in other i don't know pathways i know i know there i know doctors who um who are forgetful and they can't stay focused and they're you know creative and funny and kind of those people who are sort of scattered and they bounce all over the place and the clients love them Mm-hmm. The client, the, the the texts are like dropping, jumping nuts by them, but the clients love them <laughs> because they're they're fun and they're engaging. Yeah, exactly right. And man is raising her hand. You know, exactly right. And I go, that's not that's not a downside it, to me. It's um, and that's why I wanted to bring you on here. Was my position very much is I don't I don't buy this normal abnormal categorization in, in a lot of in a lot of ways i think that we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses and we're all very different 
I think understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are is absolutely vital to your career success. I think having an understanding of the strengths and weaknesses of the people that you manage, I think that that's vital to being a good manager. If you take someone who has a hard time organizing and push them into a position where they are going to organize come hell or high water, uh, you're often going to burn that person out rather than have them figure it out. You know, that's, that's just my position. I'm curious how that sounds as I say it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to make some people miserable. This makes me think of um, this book that I read recently by uh, Marcus Buckingham. It's called Love Plus Work. And he was one of the people that um, developed the strengths assessment. And he talked about strengths and weaknesses in a way that I'd never heard before. And it changed a lot of perspective for me. And not so much as like strengths are things that you're good at and weaknesses are things that you're bad at. But strengths are actually as like things that give you strength, like give you energy. Like you don't have to have to be good at it, but like, do you like it? Do you want to do it? Do you want to get better at it? And weaknesses as things that you don't like. You can be really, really good at things that you hate doing. Like there is definitely some things in general practice that I had to adapt to and put masks on for and cope with that from the outside looked like strengths because I was really good at it, but I hated it. Like it left me completely drained at the end of the day. And so I think as employee and manager kind of working together to help people find like, what are those strengths? And it's not, like you said, like not necessarily giving people things. Like if you don't like organizing, you're going to have a hard time doing it. Like, are you in the right seat on the bus? Like following your strengths, finding that love in your work. And like, if you have that drive, like to want to do the thing that you like, even if you're bad at it, you can put in the hours to, to get better at it. And I think we don't always know what those things we are. We don't feel like we're allowed to follow those loves. Like, I feel like that was one of my challenges in practice is like, I feel like I have to do this, but I don't really want to do it, but I'm good at it. And people keep telling me I should keep doing it, but I kind of hate it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Finding those strengths and like redefining what does it mean? A lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) Uh, I, I I completely agree. Okay. Hey friends, it's Stephanie, and I'm jumping in here for one quick second because there's a workshop coming up and it is one of the last ones for this year of 2022. And I want to make sure that you don't miss it because it is coming to you from my dear friend, Maggie Brownbury. Maggie is a former emergency veterinarian who lives in Newfoundland, Canada. And a few years ago, uh, Maggie made the decision to make a change and she moved out of ER medicine into being a relief veterinarian. And I remember Maggie telling us uh, within weeks of opening up her schedule, her whole first year was booked. And so uh, we asked Maggie to come and do a workshop for how to get the most out of the relationships that you build as a as a practice with your relief veterinarians. Because more and more practices as we face the veterinarian shortage are struggling with needing to have relief doctors on their schedule, maybe more regularly than we would have previously. And um, Maggie's got some great ideas after working with a ton of different practices on how you can leverage that relationship and set yourself up for success, set your relief veterinarian up for success and set your clients up for success. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to unchartedvet.com forward slash events and find all of the information about the workshop and how to sign up. I hope to see you there. And now back to the podcast. You know, one of the one of the things I, I always talk to people about when we talk about employee management is um, there's two different questions 
uh, that, that I usually ask about employees is when you're trying to delegate something away, you're like, hey, would you do this thing for me? The question is, does the person get it? Meaning, do they understand what you're asking for and what needs to happen? And mm-hmm. the next question is, do they want it? And to your point, there are a lot of us that are good at things that we don't enjoy. I really, I, this, is, this is an interesting idea of your strengths are things that give you strength and your weaknesses. You might be good at them, but they, but they take strength from you. They take effort. There are things that I am good at that people ask me to do, and they are exhausting. And there are things that I am good at people ask me to do that I, once you ask me to do it, I'm not going to stop. Like, like you just, I'm just going to. I'm going to get going and I I am going to shake hands and kiss babies and uh, or kiss hands and shake babies, whatever. I, I'll just I'll just get going. <laughs> and I'm not going to quit because because I, I love I love doing it. But um, th- I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. So, you know, is this being good at something and uh, and wanting to do that thing, I, I think are entirely different. I also I really like your your thoughts about um when you're someone who has different skill sets, right? When you have these things that that make you happier, that fill you up and, and things that don't, and, and you got to march to the beat of your own drum, as a lot of us do, um, I think that there is a lot of weight in the veterinary culture on behaving in a certain way and following certain uh, norms that have been laid down. And I, I guess I'm just sort of talking off off the cuff here, but you can't tell me that uh, we all take the same path, right? We all went through undergraduate to become veterinarians, and then we went through vet school. And then and there's just there's some strong cultural norms in vet medicine. And we all think that a veterinarian looks a certain way or acts a certain way. And, and the technicians look a certain way or act a certain way or things like that. And I, I feel like there is this implied pressure to conform in a lot of ways. And I, I, I have found, and this is so stupid and simple, but for, for years, people have asked, when they ask for any career advice or anything, I always tell them the, the most valuable thing that I have ever found that I tell everybody is, if you want to be successful, figure out what you like doing and figure out how to do more of it and figure out what you don't like doing and figure out how to do less of it. And I think a lot of people don't think they have permission to do that. They're like, no, I have to do all of the vet things. And I go, no, you don't. You know, you're talking to a guy who literally, you know, works uh, works one day a week in the vet clinic, uh, you know, and and, uh, and otherwise does what he wants to do. Um, you know, I was doing Facebook and people were telling me I was, I was ridiculous. And why are you spending your time doing Facebook? And I was like, it worked out OK for me in the long run. Um, you know, but those, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed expressing myself. And this was before I didn't enjoy Facebook anymore, but at the time <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoyed expressing myself and doing those things and other people. I mean, I made these goofy, I don't know if you, back in the day, I made these goofy videos and I would, I, I have, there's videos out there of me in a dog suit, a hundred percent running around. And I remember, I remember well-respected colleagues of mine being mortified on my behalf <laughs> that I was making these things. And I was like, I think it's funny. I am I am having a good time, and, and you know, and I get that it's not your thing, uh, but it's it's it, I can do it, and it makes people laugh, and I enjoy it. It makes me excited about that medicine, so I'm going to do it. I just I really like that you said that. It was like I think I think some of us maybe need permission to say, 
I'm not going to function the way that the other doctors do in the practice. And I'm going, hey, buddy, as long as you can make that swing around and balance out with other people so their needs are being met and you're not leaving other people hanging, yeah, go go forth with confidence and do it. Well, I think if anything, like it helps, it's helped me like show up better, like every day when I do work, like when I'm able to do those things. And I think more so than like balance or harmony, it's kind of this idea of like resonance, like there's never going to be like this perfect scale where it's like, okay, my work and my life are balanced. Like it's kind of taking that, like, it's like a dance that you, you have to do those other things. I remember like hearing everybody say that in vet school, like, oh yes, you must have these things outside of veterinary medicine that yeah. you do. But it's like, I feel like it's one of those lessons where you got to get burned. <laughs> like Some people know fire's hot because they've been told, but like, you got to figure it out for yourself. Like nobody knows what you love. And I think a lot of times we're conditioned to, look for that external validation of people saying like, yes, like you're doing the thing, but it's a huge shift to shift that internally and like follow what your weird little heart wants. I, I, I completely agree with that. Mm -hmm. it, but I, th I think when we're talking about managing people who are just different or, or yeah. who march to the beat of their own drum or, or just have different skills. Um, I, I think that that, I think that not waiting for someone else to validate you is so important. And I think it's really hard. I think a mm -hmm. lot of us who uh, sort of approach the world sort of differently, um, I think a lot of us live in shame. You know what I mean? Like, why can't I keep my calendar the way that other people do? And why can't I just sit down and, and do these things that, that other people just kind of sit down and, and grind through? And I say, look, we all have to figure out how to get those things done, mm -hmm. right? We all have to figure out our own ways. But, but I, I completely agree with you as far as like, I think that we need to think about what makes us happy and making sure that we're doing the things we need to do. But beyond that, like the fact that the other doctors don't work one day a week, they work six days mm -hmm. a week or four days a week, that doesn't affect me. You know, like that's just, that's not what I'm doing right now. And like, that's not taking anything away from them, but I'm not doing it and I'm not feeling bad about not doing it. It's just, it's just this is kind of where I am and what I'm doing. And so I, I think, I think a lot of us need to hear that as like, hey, this is this is fine. Yeah. As, as far as like the work-life balance stuff, it's funny you bring that up. I had a um, I had a conversation literally yesterday with a good friend of mine, and we were talking about work-life balance, and and um, I've never I've never been able to categorize work-life balance like a lot of other people can. I've never been able to be like, this is my work self and this is my home self. And it's just, again, because of the way, I think the way that I kind of see the world or whatever, that split has never worked for me. So I, I'm a big fan of like, uh, Danny McVitie calls it work-life integration. And it's just sort of like, I do a lot of different stuff. Like, I, you know what I mean? I, I write about vet medicine when I'm at home. And sometimes when I'm at the vet clinic, I, you know, on my lunch break, I'm doing other things. And just, you know, I, I will, I hang out with the technicians and we'll talk about our hobbies and, and just, you know, geek out about, you know, whatever the TV shows we're watching are, things like that. But like, I just mix those things together. But for me, it's just, it's an outlet that works and, and keeping yeah. it separate just doesn't work for me. But it totally works for other people. And so I would never tell someone else, don't prioritize life balance. I would just say, well, life balance for me looks very different than it does for other people. But I know after 15 years of doing it this way as a professional, it this this works for me. Um, and, and that's that's it. So, well, let's, let's bring this back around to just sort of 
what what this looks like professionally and yeah. uh, and and working with with others. And so we talked about managing sort of a neurodiverse doctor. We all have these different ways of approaching uh, of approaching our job of, of what we're good at. Uh, you know, it's funny that when I said, what does this look like? You listed a, a, a long string of problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of like, oh, they forget this. So this person, they don't get that done and they don't do this. Uh, what's funny is that when we ask about like a neurodivergent doctor, people don't say, oh, well, these are typically typically uh, uh, creative people. These are people who bring diversity of perspective to the scene. These are people who often have ideas that others haven't thought about. They're, think they're people who maybe have a different perspective when you ask what's going on that you just haven't rolled around and considered. And I go, we always think about the things that we see where people don't match up in a positive way to the benchmarks that are set. But we don't really stop and say, well, why do they exceed these other areas so strongly? I, I think that, that that's an important thing to consider when we talk about sort of neurodivergence and, and neurodivergent doctors is you cannot look at this as a detriment. What you have to do is look at the person as a specific package and start mm-hmm. to identify what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses. And I, I love I love the idea of, of the strengths as what, it, what fills them up, what makes them stronger. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, and kind of we talked about a little bit before, like in veterinary medicine, we kind of live by this like kind of strict calendaring, like very planned, like timeline. And that makes some people very, very miserable. And you can very much struggle to manage time and to be productive when kind of the processes and practices that you're using don't match those natural tendencies that you have. And so I think when we think about neurodivergence, at least personally, as I've started talking about it, people are coming and asking me, like all the time, like, how do I help this person who like gets sucked into the Bermuda Triangle in an appointment, whether that's in practice or in in-home euthanasia, where they just completely lose track of time. And I think realizing that it's not an intentional disregard, like for some people, it is actually like a sensory issue and time doesn't exist if mm-hmm. you're not looking at it. And so, yeah, it is, I was definitely that doctor who like you'd send a search party because I was still in the exam room, like well after the time should be over. <laughs> so I feel like that's where it comes up the most. Yeah, I I, I definitely see that. I, I think that that we to me to me it's um it, again it depends on the individual a lot. I think I think organiz, classic organization and focus uh, are often things that that we uh, that we see in doctors. What have you seen that can be helpful in setting? I know this is such a broad category of individual. It's hard to drill too deep into specifics, but but in general terms, what are the steps that practices take to, to make these people successful and to bolster them up and to make them to make them uh, feel comfortable and happy in in the workplace? Um, so I think the biggest thing is making sure that there's space to have those conversations for people to be vulnerable and not blame them and see it as an intentional disregard for time. Um, helping them be able, you might have to like help them a little bit in developing some of those skills. So like consciously tracking time, like how, when are you going in? When are you coming out? Like what's happening in there? What appointments are these happening in? Like, are these appointments that give you strength and you're just so excited to like talk to these people and help them? Or are these strengths that are like weaknesses and it's sucking your energy (laughs) to be in there and you feel like you can't get out? Um, Making sure everybody I think it's important for but especially people who are neurodivergent making sure you're taking breaks and eating food and going outside and getting exercise maybe having an afternoon coffee because um, I think you do have a natural tendency to kind of forget to do some of those things um, mm-hmm. I worked in the practice that didn't have clocks in the room and I found that really challenging like I felt rude always like looking at my watch but yeah. looking at the clock like I don't know times exists 
<laughs> um, and even like when I was in general practice, kind of having like buffer time in throughout the day to make sure like I had a quiet place to go with no noise to like catch up on my records so that I wasn't doing other things. Like, cause there's always 10,000 things going on in the treatment room and you want to help people. But unless I had a quiet place with no distractions, I couldn't get my records done before the end of the day. Um, yeah. and I think another thing that'd be helpful too, is like doing some role playing with language to kind of help move visits along. I think sometimes we don't necessarily know the words to help people get back on track and be like, okay, what is our intention for this appointment? What is our desired income? What words can we give people to have kind of light, moderate, or more heavy nudges to get us back on task. And I think those skills kind of develop over time, like not the classes that they have in school always. Yeah. Oh, I, no, I love it. So I just, I just wrote down words to move appointments along. I'm like, oh, that's, that's super great. Okay, so, so what I hear you saying, and this all makes total sense with me, I really love it. Um, uh, assume good intent. You know, uh, we talk a lot at Uncharted about assuming good intent and just say this person, they're not running late because they don't care. They're not, you know, um, failing to fill out paperwork because they're jerks and they're disrespecting you or blah, blah, blah. Assume good intent, right? Everybody's trying their best. Some things come easier to some people than other people. I think that that's just a great opening headspace. I, I love the idea of just asking what happened. You know, when this person is running late, instead of saying, you're not going fast enough, it's going, hey, I'm noticing that you're getting you're getting stuck in these rooms or you're spending a lot of time in certain rooms. Why do you think that is? Is there something think of in the rooms that you were that you were in, why do you think that 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 ended up being a trap? I also love flipping it around. I'm a big fan of positive inquiry, which is asking people about what worked well and then figuring out why it worked well so we can go to the places so I can say, hey, yesterday I felt like you were really uh, moving efficiently through the exam rooms. I felt like you were doing a great job. As far as staying on time, and that's what the text said, what was good about yesterday? Why, why do you think you were, why, why were you able to do that so well? And that's a, that can often give you some insight into, oh, this is how I support this person. And they go, oh, well, yesterday I saw these types of appointments or I, I had this set up or yesterday my technician was doing this thing that was helpful for me. And I go, ah. And now it's not, hey, tell me about why you're failing. Tell me about why you're running behind. Tell me <laughs> right? about why people are frustrated. It's tell me, yeah, tell me about, tell me about why, why these appointments were particularly good. And I've just found that that is a very soft, nice way to get advice, get, it's to, Help me to help you. You know what I mean? Like, help me help you. I, I don't I don't know what's going to be helpful for someone else, especially someone who sort of sees the world uh, differently or perceives it differently than I do or has different strengths than I have. I'm like, I, I don't I don't know how to help you because I don't have the skills that you have. Um, I have different different skills. Um, and I just I, re I really like that. And then the big thing is and, and I, I the way I just phrased it is the way I would phrase it talking to the person is not. What can we do to get you to conform? <laughs> what can we do to fix you? It's no, it's what can I do to support you? How can I help you? How can I, uh, how can I lift your workload? How can I make your time here more enjoyable? How can I, you know, how can I, um, how can I help you meet the needs of the staff? Um, or you, uh, any of those things, but how can I help you? How can I support you? What would you like me to do? What would make your time here easier? What would set you up for success? What does a great day of appointments look like for you? Those are all the types of questions that I try to get to get in there and develop specific action steps to support this person at, a, at an organizational level without making them feel like, oh, you're coming up short and so I need to give you a crutch. It's not that. I don't want I don't ever want anybody to feel that way and that's not true. It really is more 
um, you kick butt in a different way than the rest of the doctors do. And so I need to make sure that you have support for your style. And, and I need to understand what that would be because I don't I don't know your style as well as you do. And then uh, I really like your point about enforcing breaks. Uh, I just it's funny as you say that I go, oh, man, that makes so much sense of, hey, uh, we've all had doctors that we have to stuff a sandwich into their hand and be like, you need to eat this. Uh, when was the last time you went to the bathroom? When was the last time you drank water, Amanda? Like we've all had those conversations, right? <laughs> have and you seen like, the sun today? It's <laughs> so simple. Yeah, exactly. That, but that <laughs> makes so much sense when you say that. And I go, oh, and it's an easy thing to do. And it's a good thing to do, right? I mean, many of us work in states where breaks are enforced. A lot of us work in states where that's not necessarily true. Uh, we should still do it. And I just think that this is a good thing. It's one of those things where sometimes you slow down to go fast. And I find that that's really true in taking care of our staff and our doctors, especially with some people. I have to get them to slow down so that they can feel better and so that they can focus and so that they can then be productive and we can go fast. And so I think all of those are really, really great. Amanda, do you have uh, do you have resources that you really like? You mentioned um, sort of uh, one of the, the love and workbook. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to check that out. That's not one I'm familiar with. Any other resources that pop to your mind that you think are particularly useful that you like? Mm, I do like reading books about time management, particularly related to neurodivergent people, <laughs> um, because I feel like a lot of the kind of more popular books, like some of those things don't work. And so um, even people who may experience neurodiversity, even looking into like ADHD coaches or like other people to kind of help with non-traditional kind of executive functioning, I found is really helpful. Part yeah. of that is I don't really remember names very well. <laughs> so, um, sure. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> where, where would somebody, what, what does somebody search for to find that? Because you're, you're talking about this, like, I'm, like, that makes total sense to me. It's not a genre that I'm familiar with. I mean, what are, what are some of the terms that when you look like you said, uh, executive functioning uh, coaches, ADHD coaches, things ADHD like that. ADHD coaches. Are, are there certain like terms it's... that you kind of look for? Yeah, I feel like ADHD coaching oh, wow. is a big thing um, that's becoming more popular or maybe just noticing it more. Um, and even kind of learning more and more about um like time and how different people relate to time um, and how it varies for everybody. Um, we talked just briefly about those kind of languages for progressing with video with visits. Like I'm doing a talk at the hospice conference later in the fall, kind of talking about how to do that with like in-home euthanasia visits. Um, and yeah, just kind of recognizing like some of the more um, traditional approaches for kind of quote unquote neurotypical people. Like if you feel like you're struggling with them as a neurodivergent person, it may be that there are other resources that can be helpful. So ADHD coaching is something that's really helped me. And those people are full of resources. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really, really cool. I mean, uh, where can people where can people find you online? Where can they where can they follow you and uh, and keep up with your adventures? Uh, I do have a website at dramandadoran.com and a little social media on the Instagram at dramandadoran. And you can also find Wicked Witch West End on Instagram too. But most of my projects nice. and other things that I've done on that Dr. Amanda Doran website. And if anybody has questions or wants to reach out, my email address is Doran at gmail. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for that, guys. I'll put links to everything we talked thank about you. down in the show notes. Everybody, have a wonderful week. Amanda, thanks again for being here. Thank you, Andy. And that is our show. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Got to give a special shout out to Banfield, the pet hospital 
for making transcripts possible. Speaking of uh, of inclusion and accessibility in vet medicine, Banfield makes transcripts uh, possible so that people can more easily access the information in this podcast. And they didn't have to do that, and we could not do it without them. Uh, so I just got to stop and give a shout out to those guys. Guys, if you got uh, if you got any questions for us, uh, shoot us a question in the mailbag. The uh, email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. And uh, Stephanie Goss and I are happy to tackle that. I'll be back with the goddess Stephanie Goss next week. And we will see you then. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>